0: Grief, anxiety, loss, and resilience are all topics you'll find here. So grab a cup of coffee and settle in because you're listening to the Strategy Hour podcast brought to you by Boss Project. Join me in celebrating Women's History Month. On March 27th, I'm hosting a special virtual event for her by her presented by Fiverr. We'll be spotlighting and interviewing some of the most successful female business owners and their experiences with Fiverr. In the U.S., women are driving growth, and each year that percentage increases. Women-led startups have more than doubled since 2020, and from 2019 to 2023, women-owned businesses' growth rate outpaced the rate of men's in new businesses' employment and revenue. In this panel discussion, you'll hear from top female business owners who have not only started their own companies, but cater to women through their products and services. Don't miss out. Head to bossproject.com slash RSVP and save your seat for this empowering event created by women for women. It's free to attend. I can't wait to see you there. That's bossproject.com slash RSVP. This message is sponsored and brought to you by Fiverr.
1: Okay, so I think I've talked a couple times here on the show about how I'm like wanting to turn a new leaf LOL about being better at like herb and veggie and fruit gardening. I have started this when we even had our first house back in like 2012. And I started by growing asparagus because I did not know what I was doing. And I ended up getting like three sprigs over the time that we were there. And so then I just gave up for a while because it seemed like I just like killed everything I even looked at because I just didn't have the energy to figure it out. But this year I have the energy to figure it out. And so I've started small and I've started with some herbs on the deck and a couple of veggies and my basil. I know basil is like quite possibly the easiest thing that you could grow. It is taking off like wildfire. And so I had to harvest it because it was going to flower if I didn't. So I harvested a ton and then I looked up some recipes and I made a basil pesto and it is so Freaking delicious! We had it last night for dinner, and it was just—it was one of those things. So I was talking to a friend about how their kiddo, she's like two and a half, used to like eat everything, and then now they're like two and a half, and they're starting to get really picky. And I'm like, "Yep, that's like when it starts." And it's like Dino Chicken Nuggets for life, or nothing else. And it seems like they just like stop eating like fruits and veggies that they used to just love, and you're like. Literally, have you had any nutrition today? And so my biggest parenting hack for that is if your kid is remotely interested in like tending to the plants with you, like Teach them how to water them. Teach them how to pluck off some basil or spinach or whatever. And all of the sudden, it just changes in their brain where they're like, "Oh my god, I'm obsessed with this." So we started growing spinach. Penny would go out and just pluck it, like while she was playing, and just eat raw spinach, like straight from I'm the like, plant. Do it, girl. Just, do it. Girl. I'm like, live your best life. She harvested a bunch of basil for me. I taught her like where to trim it and like what to look for. So then I made the pesto. So last night when I had it on the chicken, like. She normally is the person that's like, what is this green stuff touching my chicken? And she picks off like pepper off of chicken because she just wants it like plain. And so I was like, it's the basil that you picked for me the other day and I made it into the sauce and it's so good. She ate all of it, like all of it.
0: I definitely think that's a hack that more parents should do. Like, I know it takes more time to cook when you include them, but yeah, or have them be a part of. Any of it on growing, <laughs> <concept. Yeah>. <laughs> but <laughs> the willingness to try new things and be involved. Like, I know for me, even though I definitely had a period where I was like resenting cooking, like that's what made it feel possible that I could enjoy it again. Cause I did remember loving it when I was Penny's age, when I was yeah. eight years old, and like yeah. playing in the kitchen. And I think if I had always just like watched instead of been a part of it, I wouldn't have even entertained that for myself.
1: Well, and I think, I mean, it is truly one of the things that prevents a picky eater because like my husband is the most picky eater. There are so few vegetables that he will eat and I try to introduce them in all the fun ways, but like there's hardly anything that I won't at least try. And I might not like it, but I'm like super into trying new things. And it's because like my dad was a big cook in our family and I, he was the person he still is, but like you could come up with the most ridiculous, like, I think we should try this thing. And it's just like the most ridiculous meal. And he's like, let's do it. Like, let's get all the things, let's make it together. It could be an absolute disaster, but you just like have fun and you try. And so I've always had that energy and I feel like it's what's like, let me try new things. And it's more fun that way.
0: Yeah. I can't wait until Elliot wants to, like, be, I mean, he's, he definitely wants to be involved, but he isn't at all helpful. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. i have like, a few more years and I feel yeah. like it'll be fun to start trying yeah. recipes. with Well, them. she told me, Penny was
1: like, I like cherry tomatoes now. I've been trying to get her to eat cherry tomatoes forever. And I'm like, okay, great. I guess they had them at school and I'm sure one of her friends likes them. So now she likes them. And so she was like, can we start growing some cherry tomatoes? I'm like, absolutely. If you're going to request a freaking vegetable that we grow. So I got a cherry tomato plant, with the cage and everything and we're going to see. And so we're like watching them. We have some and they're nice and green right now. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. get some sun on you so you can turn red. And so she's going to go out there and pluck them. And hopefully. I think the key
0: though, if I could tell myself years ago, all my struggles with plants in general, it's almost always a, Lack of sun, too much sun, or like lack of water, too much water situation. Mm -hmm. Very rarely are you doing something Mm -hmm. terribly wrong.
1: Yep. My thing is, I just I would like forget to
0: water them, and then they would die. (laughs) That's a requirement. Mm -hmm. I do have a. (laughs) We've only killed one plant so far this season, which is honestly fantastic considering how much we've invested. I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> but we scorched it. It wasn't oh, like no. a little bit dead. It was like a lot of it dead. And so Jared's like, well I'm gonna get you it was a hanging basket. He's like, I'm gonna get you a new one, but you need to set an alarm to water. <laughs> to water it. It. And so I did. But the thing I realized is the reason I never watered it, I literally can't reach it. Mm -hmm. So now I have an Mm -hmm. alarm that goes off every day. And I'm like, Jared, did you water it? (laughs) This is my reminder, my alarm to remind you to water. Because I literally, like, even with the watering can, I'm too sure. No, I I had to get one of
1: those, like, arm shower things. I can't reach shit either. And I'm like, you could just have so much more distance when you have those.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We finally
1: got our outside faucet fixed. We have two faucets on our house and one just like busted because our water pressure went through the roof one time. And so the the guy was trying to fix it and it just like shot out at him and he had to catch it. It was crazy. And so it was broken like all winter and then we're going into spring and I'm like, we need this faucet to be fixed. Like I can't be, we were like connecting hoses to make like a 200 foot (laughs) Hose area yeah. from the front faucet, and I'm like, no. So, we got it fixed, and it's so much more convenient.
0: What a <laughs> surprise!
1: Surprise. Okay, so today we want to have a conversation. We have so many chat, I mean, with literally hundreds of people on the regular about their business their goals, their pricing, the structure of what's in their offer. We do, if you have, first of all, this is a soft plug. Don't do it yet because we're literally on vacation. But in two weeks, when we get back, if you haven't yet applied for the incubator, because you have questions about whether it's right for you or not, as soon as you apply And you start messaging us over on Instagram, like the amount of conversations that Abby is having with y'all in the DMs about like, here's what it could look like. And no, literally, here's what I would do. And like, here's how I would structure it. Do that. Like, go spend some time and do that. But do it when we get back in two weeks. (laughs) We'll be back. You can go ahead and and apply now, but you'll get in the the conversation later. You'll get in the queue. But my point is, is that we we're having so many chats with different business owners who are in plenty of different industries. And we are starting to notice some themes about, you know, not only who does the program work for, but who does the structure of like charging a premium with one service that solves a lot of problems for your clients so you can charge a premium. What industry, who does this work best for? And more importantly, who are we seeing where it's like, if you apply and you're having the conversation and this is your kind of business where we're like, this model doesn't actually work best for this industry. So if you were in a place where you can like, you're at a fork in the road and, and, you got you to have choose.
0: and you have to choose, we want to give you some guidance
1: on what we would do if we were in your position.
0: No, for sure. So I'm going to start before we dig into the industry specifically, I do want to talk about Essentially, you have two options at all times to grow your business in terms of volume of sales. Volume of sales is ultimately determined by the price you charge and the number of clients. So if those two things are like juxtaposed, if you want to work with less people and be more intentional, have bigger impacts, then generally, you have to charge a more premium price point, And that will unlock that ability for you to work with less people. But if you stay at a certain price point, the only way to hit your goals consistently is to play the volume game. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that for certain industries, that doesn't work in many industries that works like think about all the service providers that you run into on the regular uh hairstylist Mm -hmm. volume industry uh dentist volume industry yep anyone who's doing like a short like if you like walk into a brick and mortar and you're getting access to a short service estheticians mm-hmm.
1: a dog groomer place yeah there's so many pest control Laundry. where they like yeah
0: <laughs> they're relying on large volumes of people and like essentially like a booked out schedule where you like have a time that you work mm-hmm. with someone but that is a totally different ball game than when you're working with a service provider who now in our realm, while on the premium spectrum, there are three types of services. So like if you're doing hourly services or hourly at a brick and mortar, then that's the volume game. But on the premium spectrum and the things we're teaching inside the incubator, you could be doing one-time projects and that could be like over a span of time or in like a VIP day setting. Mm -hmm. Or you could do a retainer project where you have a contract for a set amount of time and certain deliverables you're doing every single month. And ultimately, you can charge whatever the climate will bear, basically, Mm -hmm. keeping in mind that value is perceived by the person receiving the service. Right, right. Well, and what we see,
1: too, is that a lot of people who have mental roadblocks and mental hesitations about charging premium dip their toe into it with the retainer model because you can charge less in the retainer model because you, it's still a little bit of a quantity game because you have to have that right. The levels have to match of, I am still charging appropriately. I have the capacity to work with this many people, but my contracts are set in stone for this amount of time. So it's more of like a you get the people in. And as long as you're refilling the bucket as people leave, then you're going to be golden. But we start to see clients who are like, okay, but now even that feels like too many people. (laughs) And so I want to like, okay, maybe I start introducing a premium package and it's, I'm going to finish this project. It's not ongoing. So I can get a little bit of both. And I personally see the people who are like, really enjoying what they're doing and getting that creative itch scratched in different ways is a very small amount of retainers for consistency and then cash injection for higher packages that end.
0: Yeah. And I don't think there's a right or wrong with the mix. I think it really goes down to like, where do you feel like you personally are best? If you Mm -hmm. are so incredible with relationships and you have no problem landing clients then volume whether you're doing it on the lower end of the price point or volume in like a retainer model where you're charging a little bit less potentially and working with less clients we also have people who are charging a lot on a retainer but they're Mm -hmm. only working with a couple of clients Mm -hmm. that's possible too i think it just depends on where you want to like put your energy. But there are consistencies in terms of like, I see a lot of people over here in the lower price spectrum, and they would have a much harder time jumping. And a lot of people who are in the premium spot that like that always tends to make sense. But I think more often than not, business to consumer sales in the service industry Tend to be more volume, low cost mm-hmm. than B two B sales. Yeah, and I wish I knew why. Other than uh, I, I just I think mean, it I all comes mean, down Businesses to have
1: bigger budgets than individual people. I think that's why. Yeah. I I think it comes down to budgets and just expectations. Like I'm sitting here thinking about like, we have a pest control company that comes on a quarterly basis. We have a lawn treatment company that comes, I think on a monthly every other month, maybe. And it's just one of those things where if you are in that kind of service and typically B2C, no matter what it is, is in the, what does your local market bear and you have much more competition, and so the thing that you can win people out on is your quality of service. Absolutely, like that is still number one in my opinion. But it's are you even in the realm of like affordability within your your chunk? Well, like, of-
0: so for instance, if we looked at the beauty industry, like hair, makeup, esthetician, like skincare, all of that stuff, that market in Kansas City is dramatically different than that market in LA Yeah, in terms of price point. And so I think so much of it is local economy driven and can really be such a driver yeah. for what your price point has to be, quote unquote. Versus- Here's
1: a good breakdown also. This yeah. says... The easiest way to explain this, which is the concept of why B2B can charge more than B2C, is that a B2B transaction often takes more consideration, involves more people, and requires more decision makers. B2B clients often need to prove a return on investment for their purchase. And you don't have to prove that with a B2C typically. Like, did you like it? Did it work? If not, there's someone else right next door who could probably offer something similar, better, worse, whatever. It's got you but got it's to kind of like trial a and error. Shorter time
0: that. period. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Like you're mm-hmm. like, did it work today?
1: Like right. was like the amount of nail salons I go to to try to find the one that I love. I don't care that I'm trying on all of these different ones, because I know in my brain, I'm going to spend between five and $10 of the total price. Like there's not going to be a bigger price difference typically in the salons that I'm going to like,
0: yeah, like you can hit a bracket of salon and and it's going to be relatively the same everywhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's just so interesting how when you remove the local economy from it, yep. how it automatically changes what people will pay like if you can remove that localized market now I will say I don't think everyone should remove the localized market like I think there's some people who are trying to compete online that would do they would make so much more money if they focused local agree yeah yeah which is I it's hard to express that because like I get the desire But there's just some types of services where you're going to do so much better serving the people near you. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Today's podcast is sponsored by Squarespace, the only all-in-one website platform we use and recommend to our clients. Squarespace makes it easy to create beautiful websites, engage with your audience, and sell your products and services all in one place. Visit squarespace.com slash boss project to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace has professional website templates with designs for nearly every category and use case. Start with a flexible template, then customize it to fit your unique needs. With Squarespace extensions, you can connect your website to vetted, third-party tools to fully customize your website exactly the way you want it. Whether you sell services, products, or digital items, Squarespace has the tools you need for your online store. You can now host your videos on Squarespace and show them on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your videos with member areas. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash boss project to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash boss project. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. With over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I love that Indeed makes it easy to hire. We've had to weed through hundreds of applications in the past. We could have saved so much time if we'd used Indeed. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great
1: One of the things that I also want to bring up, and and I'm just continuing to do more research, there's actually a lot out here, really doing the pro-con pro of B2B versus B2C. And this is what we were talking about earlier is, so first of all, (laughs) before I like go into the next phase of topic, all of this is centered around the like, What feels fun and attainable and doable to you? None of these options are wrong. There are plenty of these scenarios that work amazingly for some people and don't work at all for other people. When Abby was giving you the example of like, are you an amazing relationship builder and you just have a lot of connections? Then maybe you can do that quantity game because that feels fun for you and that feels exciting for you. Some of you, it's the exact opposite. So you're gonna wanna tailor something that fits you. I think that there's a lot of, It's changing now, but there is a lot of pressures into build a certain type of business just because like this is gonna be the most successful kind or this is gonna look this certain way or it's gonna give you these certain things. But if it's in direct like opposition of how you function as a human being, then that is not going to work for you. And so I want you to like have these considerations in this space of not the market and not pricing and not what's normal, but like literally what feels attainable for you. And one of the biggest pieces that I don't think people talk about enough when deciding what kind of business model to go after or really how to structure is the size of your lead pool. Yeah. And it's, you could be years into business and you're sitting here like, why can't I raise my rates? Like they just won't pay for it. Or why can't I like get more people in the door because I don't want to raise my rates. And it's comes down to your actual opportunity.
0: Yeah. So I think in terms of that, how do you figure that out? This is not about who, you know, like literally at all. This is about the size of the potential market. Okay. And so uh, when you hear people getting yelled at on Shark Tank for like, (sighs) why are you even bringing this up? I get the appeal for why they're bringing it up here, but I don't think the majority of people are even looking at this. And so they're, they're ignoring what that information is going to tell them. So as an example, who are you trying to reach? Like, who are you trying to sell to? I know we talk about ideal client, but like, what characteristics about them can we literally quantify? So like, for instance, if you're targeting, if you're in the B2B world and you're wanting to charge 10, 15, 20 and above thousand more than likely, you're going to on the 10 to 20,000, you might be able to target businesses making over 500,000. Once you get past 20,000, you're probably going to need to be targeting businesses making over a million. Well, you can do things to that market that ultimately limit who you have access to. So like, if you get so specific of like, I only want to reach businesses with physical locations with more than 50 employees. Okay. All right. So like how many of those exist? And there's a ton of not just IRS data, but like there's so many surveys out there to help you identify what the pool of people looks like. But unless you personally can turn, in my opinion, like 1% to 2% of the market. If you could convert 1% to 2% of the market and be banging and like love your job, then I get worried because sometimes you end up with a pool that's so small that your saturation level would have to be so high Mm -hmm. that it's really unreasonable for you to fully take that on.
1: Yep. Yep. One of the comparisons that this article is breaking down, which is another big piece I really feel like people don't think about enough is how and why people who are making a buying decision in the B2C realm versus the B2B realm actually make their decisions. And so you're talking about like, you know, everyone knows and talks about like people buying from emotion or people wanting influence or people wanting solutions. And there are actual breakdowns in B2C customers being more emotionally tied to I'm going to buy this because I think it means something about me. It says something about me and it's a convenience. Whereas B2B people are looking for solutions and have looked at the differences. And is this thing going to solve? It's my like
0: more time. technical, logical, more like strategic yep. versus yep. it's right
1: brain, left brain thinking. Of <laughs> this is beautiful. Like
0: I even think like buying a house and like remodeling a kitchen, like, how much more of an emotional decision yeah. that is than then it's like okay well i get it if like the dishwasher is out and you need a new dishwasher that's a logical decision but like when you start to get into these bigger purchases mm-hmm. that are a lot more money on the consumer
1: yeah. side it literally start to just think about the the last b2c purchases you've made Um, And I'm thinking about our lawn care, for instance, or our pest control. Like it was really important for us, for like them to not use certain chemicals and for it to be a more natural experience. And for us to like kind of be taught, like them explaining what they're doing and why they're doing it. Like we wanted to be a little bit more part of the process was because of those factors that ultimately made us choose who we chose because we got those needs met. There is plenty of other lawn care companies out there who are just like, the opposite of that and are maybe even the same price, but those aren't my needs. And so I wasn't considering them.
0: Right. And then, and while I'm sure a lot of that was charged by safety, personal, and especially Penelope, but also that's an emotional choice. Like yep. it's not 100%. It, like it's going to make you feel better mm-hmm. if you buy the safer option for a variety of reasons. Right,
1: right. And, but you also like couldn't charge me 10 times the price for it.
0: Right. I mean, you might be able to charge 20% more, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you couldn't necessarily charge 700% more for the no. same quote-unquote type of service. Mm-hmm. But I do think part of it goes to in, when you can start to quantify something as an investment. And I do think this is where the lines do blur on B2C and B2B. Because I do think there are some consumer decisions you could purchase a service of sorts that they are considered an investment versus like a cost or a luxury. And if you can get into someone making an investment decision, then I feel like the ability to charge a higher premium price point they're more willing to look at what will it bring them back Mm long-term. And on the business side, though, I think the potential return is generally a lot higher. So like a remodel, for instance, okay, yeah, that's an investment, but you tend to break even on a kitchen or whatever? And is it like half for bathrooms? I'm not in the real estate market, so don't (laughs) quote me at all. But like, you're, you're not actually making the whole thing back versus like, in the business world, you might be looking for something where you're going to get a 5x return or a 10x return Mm -hmm. where you're going to really multiply your cash. And so you're willing to put more upfront into a service. And I think if we could help people get clearer on what problem are you solving, and how is it an investment, and what kinds of returns can your clients see, I think people's willingness to pay a much more premium price point exists, regardless of like the type of service. I I can think of so many different types in the B two B world that just they cross so many different. Skills. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not like you have to be amazing at advertising to get an ROI on something. Like, there are so many opportunities there to be pretty niche, like, Mm -hmm. pretty skill set specific, and still do really well.
1: Yeah. So, let's, I think, get into some specifics about some industries where I feel like it could be more difficult to go the all inclusive, one package premium rate. And you might have to then instead change your focus to the quantity side, still offering exceptional service. And still, there's still so many pieces of this that like, you can definitely still create an amazing experience, like automate some of your systems, really figure out like how to spend less of your time fulfilling the thing. But ultimately, like some things you just can't make any faster, like this just is what it is, but you can make it you can create a space where you are hiring more people to fulfill that same service so that you can get in more people so I think you had said earlier one of the biggest industries as a whole that we're seeing kind of start the conversation with us, but at least where the industry that they are currently in or how they're currently serving their clients, the transition will just be much more difficult, and then therefore the focus should be shifted and so we're talking about. A lot of health, Health industry, health health and and beauty beauty
0: tend to be the two biggest ones. Mm -hmm. Now, there's definitely others for sure. But on the consumer side, health and beauty. Right, right. So with health, there's a couple of things kind of that make it a bit more complicated. The moment you include insurance, then you're just like in a totally different ballgame. Like, I'm not saying you can't charge a premium with insurance. You can, but like, that's a regulated Industry where you are very subject to contract negotiations and its relationships with insurance providers. So that's something we don't personally touch or get into. And then when you get into alternative health, I mean, that's where I get really interested because I love that field. I love nutrition, I love more naturalistic approaches to things. But so much of it is the consumer's expectation Mm -hmm. on what they're going to have to invest. And the health industry is, they're already, most people, especially in the U.S., they're already getting ripped off everywhere (laughs) else. Mm -hmm. They're getting like, health insurance is so expensive. And if they're not getting the kind of answers they want in that space and they're going off and, like, they're willing to invest their own cash to find answers or to work through a problem in most cases it's already kind of limited like mm-hmm. and not that you can't charge a premium it's just it tends to be a bit more of a challenge to to get past that like i've seen people get up into like the 1 to 2000 range but once you get in that 3 to 5 or higher it's so much harder to find the right offer that the market will actually bear,
1: mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. and and that you'll have a big
1: enough pool to
0: right. Again. So, like for instance, I've definitely seen some people who are like, "Well, I'm targeting pro athletes." Okay, great. Well, mm-hmm. like you, then you could probably make this work if you have the right connections, right. like if you already have those existing relationships. Or maybe some celebrities. Or, like, very specific health issues. Like, there are not even all issues. But, like, I think there's some parts around... Pregnancy, fertility, and weight—that mm-hmm. like, given the right circumstances, yeah. someone might invest. I've but- seen
1: people charge and make bank as a sleep consultant mm-hmm. for for children. Typically, it's not a long term thing. You hope that it's not a long term t- thing. You may or may not need the same person like twice. Like if you have more than one kid, you'll definitely need them more than once. Typically, but sometimes children regress in their sleep. So you bring them back. But we got so lucky when we, but right before Penny was born, there was like a free training that the junior league offered where they brought in a sleep consultant. And I just like happened to get a seat in that room. And I took literally all of the notes. And it was because of that meeting that, I mean, changed our lives once we had Penny. And I... Now being on the other side, when I talk to any parents, if they're struggling, I'm like, it is worth the money, pay the money, do it. Like your sleep is worth so much money. Yeah.
0: So I think there's lots of opportunities there. It's just a matter of figuring out what is the Mm -hmm. right point Mm -hmm. in which it makes sense. Most of our clients, regardless of they're doing it in a contract, so it's like over a set period of time or a one-time project most of our clients are charging at least 5,000 per client. Yeah, And so when you're charging less than that, it's just, it's much more volume focused in the beauty space. I think the exception to the rule. So like the areas in which you can charge more premium are when you start to get more into the model styling and wedding mm-hmm. space. If you lean too much into something that you would maybe walk in for a service or you would like schedule an hour or 90 mm-hmm. minute kind of thing then that tends to be a harder kind of thing to make work with a high touch premium service because you're not unless you're lo- looking at selling larger packages but even still you're still trading time for yeah. money and that's yeah. that's really hard to kind of get out of that realm now i will say the hack for for making the jump from B to C to B to B when that's your background is being willing to work with those who are in the industry after you've seen your own level of success.
1: Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. And so I think the mistake I see people making though is like, say, say they're a registered nurse and they want to help More people become nurses and study for tests and that kind of thing. What becomes a challenge is now you're now you're looking at students. They're not as advanced in their career. Mm -hmm. So there's you're still paying those like lower consumer price points, but it's technically B2B. Sort of because they're like career is like that borderline Mm -hmm. place. But if you can start to target people that are in a more advanced place, then you might have opportunities. Now, an example was, I was talking to someone the other day, she had built a very successful salon, brick and mortar, she had sold her location. And now she was coaching and consulting with people that are consistently booked out, but they have no idea how to sell Mm -hmm. their location, like being a consultant at that level of someone who's already super successful is a great opportunity. And you're still in that creative niche, so to speak, but you're, you're bridging the gap into the B2B side. I think the mistake I see people making is they're they're either targeting someone who's too new in their career, and so they're struggling to get the price point to where they want it, or they're trying to do it in a one-to-many model, but they don't necessarily have an mm-hmm. audience to speak to, mm-hmm. and they don't have the numbers to drive those sales up. And so while they would love to make a course work or something, they've just really struggled to get it off the ground and get moving.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we bring up these conversations just if you're. Sometimes I feel like we hit walls of frustration and we think that, like, it's us or our offer or what we're doing. And I honestly think more often than not, it comes down to, like, what are your actual available options? And are you setting yourself up to be successful within the container, the boundaries, the restrictions that those options have given you? Right? Do you need to pivot? And do you need to have a different audience? Do you need to have a different offer? Do you need to restructure what you're doing to open up possibilities for you? Or do you need to reset your expectations and put your focus somewhere else within the container you've already built? I think those are conversations that we're having a lot lately with people where if we're expecting something that's like never going to happen with what we've created, we have to change our headspace on what we're focusing on then.
0: Yeah, so if this at all sparked some... Thoughts within you. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what have you sold. Like what? Can, what are you consistently selling on a monthly basis in terms of income? What's your regular revenue? Who's your target? Have you identified how big your market is? What percent of that market are you attempting to go after? And are you consistently booked out? with the kinds of services you're already providing. I'd love to kind of dive in with you and hear a little bit more. I always have ideas on how we could tweak and refine to regardless of what industry, regardless of what background, what is the like next most premium option? Like even if I can't get you all the way to charging 60 grand a project, I, I can usually identify at least something that's a bit more premium for yep. you. And I would love to have that conversation. We are scheduled to be out. So go ahead and send me a DM. But if, if there is a delay in me getting back to you, that is why. Mm-hmm. You can send us a DM at Boss Project on Instagram and submit your application so we can chat more at bossproject.com slash incubator. Looking to elevate your brand without the headache? Join the co-op